This is the More to the Story podcast with Dr. Andy Miller. We hope you guys enjoyed today's conversation. You are in for a treat today. And it's not because of anything I've done. I am so thankful that I have the opportunity to share this podcast with you with Dr. Tim Tennant as my guest. He was with us at Wesley Biblical Seminary as we hosted a series of classes in Washington, D.C. at the Institute on Religion and Democracy. And Dr. Tennant shared with me some of the kind of like a, a Cliff Notes version of his course and his book, For the Body. This is one of the most important books of our time, really. I think it's like kind of like a foundation piece for us to think about the doctrine of creation and revelation, particularly as it relates to the challenges that our society experiences with human sexuality and a whole range of issues. So I think you'll find this really helpful. Dr. Tim Tennant is an intellectual, pastoral, and administrative leader for the Wesleyan movement as a whole. He's a friend of mine, been a kind of a key mentor for me, and I'm so thankful for the fact that he gave us a few minutes here to share in this podcast. We actually do this interview from the Institute on Religion and Democracy. I just want to make sure you know about something. You know that there's a free resource available for you from andymillerthird.com. That's andymillerii.com. It's a four-page PDF document that helps preachers and teachers move from the stage of looking at Scripture and exegeting Scripture to moving to the creative process of presenting it. So I think you'll find this tool really helpful. Really helpful. If you sign up for my email list, I'll send it to you for free. And if you contact me, if you're already on my email list, I'm glad to share this with you too. Just reach out to me. I'm glad to be in touch. I'm thankful too that I have a podcast sponsor, some podcast sponsors who've come along to make this happen. My thanks to those WPO Development, Bill Roberts and his financial planning firm, and an anonymous donor who have helped make this podcast and this platform a reality. I hope you'll enjoy this podcast with Dr. Tim Tennant on the More to the Story podcast. God bless you. Welcome to the More to the Story podcast. This is a great day. I have one of my favorite people on the podcast with me, and I mean that. Look, in my, when I was growing up, I had a poster of Michael Jordan, and I had a poster of Isaiah Thomas, Ryan Sandberg. If, I, if you had to get an active person now, I think it'd be you. Oh, Tim Tennant, Dr. Oh, Tim Tennant, <laughs> president for Asbury Seminary. Thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you, Andy. It's good to be here. Good so to be here. We're here in Washington, D.C., so this isn't our normal location, but here we are. You've come and helping us at Wesley Biblical Seminary teach a class based upon your book and some of the mm-hmm. sermons that you've done on the body, and we want to talk about some of that, but we're at the Institute for Religion and Democracy headquarters right here, so right here. thanks so much for coming. Thank you. It's great being here. So I wanted to take a chance. You put a book that's have a book that's come out lately, or now, I guess now, probably a year and a half ago, with Zondervan and Seedbed for the body. And in that, even just in your title, you kind of give us where you're going. So even let's just talk about that first word, for. Right, Andy. I think that you know the first uh, generation of response to some of the issues on human sexuality have been a lot based on. What we're we're against this, we're against this, we're against that, right? right? right and so, right. I wanted to move the discussion beyond that to say, okay, we, we get that, but what are we for? What is the grand Christian vision which compels us? What, you know, why are we against these things? Well, it must be for something. Mm-hmm. So this is really trying to cast what is the the Christian view of the body. We call it a theology of the body. Right, and, and so this is more than just responding to a specific issue. Like, right. and, and you highlight that that's been a part of the problem. Like, what have some of those knee-jerk reactions been from the past you know, 10, 20 years? Well, I think a lot of it, uh, there's false narratives that because we 
have a position against uh, things like same-sex marriage or against right. gender reassignment. Therefore, we are against people, against certain groups of people, et cetera. Right. So a lot of it is trying to, I think, we have to get beyond some of those narratives and say, no, no, no. Uh, part of the Wesleyan vision is universal grace. We believe right, in the grace right. of God working all people. And so we believe that all people are recipients of God's, God's love and care. So we want to be in that redemptive mode. But we also believe that God's word helps us to know how to flourish, right? right and so amen. therefore, teach me about marriage, about their body. And one of the concerns I think we have in the current phase is really to recover a proper view of the body and to realize that the church is something some neo-Gnostic views of the body that, that, that denigrate the body. And so right, we're trying to recover right, right. that the creation is good, the body is good. So Now, one of the things that was interesting to me is we were talking recently, actually in the class, you presented the fact that the reason you came up with this, and, and, and I had wondered this myself, you're trained as a missiologist, expert in Hinduism, Buddhism, world religions. So it wouldn't necessarily, I think their next step would be to talk about human sexuality or uh, a theology <laughs> of the body. So tell what led you to um, move down this path? Well, I think on a, uh, I think basically you're right. It's not normally in my normal field of writing, but I, did, I do feel like that missiology at the end of the day is about uh, communicating across uh, boundaries right, and explaining right, right. things that are, you know, can be uh, confusing. So in some way, I think we are in a situation where North America is an emerging mission field. So it's kind of like Leslie Newbegin, you know, yeah, sure. how do we understand the Western world as a mission field? So in that sense, I think it's, the book is highly missiological. These are the kinds of things we have to learn new competencies, new vocabulary, new way of talking about things to be effective in the gospel. Cause this is a big issue in our culture in general, not to mention the church. Right. But I think secondly, I think I'm in the Methodist church. And so this is a particular challenge in my denomination because right. we're facing a big crisis over it. And so therefore, I just was not happy at all with a lot of the things that were being said, you know, by many of our leaders. I right, just think right. we were not being wrong. And a lot of our pastors were saying to me, we don't know how to respond to these issues. Wow, you know, yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah. we know that this is wrong, but we don't know what, what we're for. They don't know these things. They don't know the theological structure of the whole thing. And so I thought, well, you know what? I can do this. So I thought yeah. I would just do it. So this book is really a humble attempt to try to hopefully spurn many other better books that could do even better job than what I've done, just to get the whole conversation going. Right, and it has. It's been really helpful to me. And I remember some of the initial sermons that you gave at Asbury Theological Seminary, and people can get that at your website. Uh, is it timtenant.com? Yes, timothytenant.com. Tim Timothy Tenet. Yes. So you can go and find that. Like Those are just great messages that helped me think about how to even preach on this topic before the book came out, but the book itself is incredibly helpful. And it's interesting to me that like, the missiologist type of role is like finding out what the questions people are asking. Like this is the question, unfortunately. It's like I kind of feel like Jude in the beginning of Jude's like, I had intended to write to you about this, but now I have to call you to contend for the faith because exactly. there's other problems. Like this isn't probably what we wanted to do, but this is the question and this right. is the, the challenge that's facing the church. Well, Andrew Walls, you may know, is one of the most right. well-known missiologists of our day. Uh, when I, I had to put a study under him in Edinburgh, and he awesome. once said to us in a class, I never forgot it, he said, the most important work of a missionary is to understand the questions inside somebody else's head. Wow. And i never forgotten that. It's, Say that it, again. <laughs> the most important work of a missionary is to understand the questions inside somebody else's wow. head. And I think that's actually a really good advice to any pastor. Right. If you don't know the questions inside the head of your parishioners, you won't be able to preach in a way that they'll sit up and take notice. And a lot of the sermons that are 
are, you know, given in churches are inane, are weak, are not hitting where people, the questions they have. Right. So they'll look to the culture for answers. And so right. we really need to step over game on this issue. Right. It, I, I think like the, for teachers, everybody, I mean, and as you're thinking, people are pe thinking of witnessing in their communities, like what is the question that people are asking and then coming with the answers. Now you brought up the, you said the word neo-gnostic and, and how that's a part of what we're experiencing as a culture and something that you address. What do you, tell us, tell like the average person here what you mean by neo-gnostic. Yeah, Gnosticism uh, comes from the word gnosis, which means knowledge. Yeah. And so in the early church, at the time the New Testament was being formed, and the, and the early writers of the New Testament, they were encountering a, a movement called Gnosticism, which is a special knowledge, which basically argued that the real you is the real is the you inside of you, mm -hmm. and that your body is not important, right? And your body can't be trusted. In fact, your body is evil. It right. taught. So um, today we're also seeing a movement where people are saying, you know what, the real self inside of me is is a self that's socially constructed. For example, it's 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 a divided, based on social media. It's based on how I construct myself rather right. than biological markers. For example, so that's a real important example of a of a neo-gnostic kind of thing where you no longer trust your own body. Mm -hmm. And so that's a crisis today. And right. so and it's part of this neo-gnostic theme we're seeing coming through our, as, this, as the Christian message retreats, these scenes come back up in the culture. Right, so as the Christian message retreats, this is what's emerging. Right. The um, I had Christopher West on my podcast, mm -hmm. and I know you, you quote him and... Um, he, his his uh, kind of evangelical version of his book, you know, he has the Theology of Body for Beginners and then the, the larger book, but it's, it, the title for the, I think it's Brazos published, is Our Bodies Tell God's Story. Right. So he sent, you know, uh, sent me a copy of it and he crossed out some of the words and he made it, uh, your body tells God's story. But there's something in that, like that the, the physical created world that we inhabit in itself is a theology that tells us what God's doing in the world. Could you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, I think in general, I think the Christian view is that the physical world, because it, God is the creator, points to spiritual realities. And so when God creates us, you know, our bodies are pointers to the incarnation. You know, when we get married, uh, Paul right. himself teaches that the marriage is a pointer to Christ in the church, you know, bearing children, a pointer to the Trinity. Mm -hmm. And all these things, um, are pointers to spiritual mysteries. So part of what I think Christopher West has been good at is explaining how, you know, our bodies are talking to us, but we're not listening. You wow. know, and that we ought yeah. to listen better to the fact that God has put spiritual mysteries woven into creation itself. Right. And therefore, um, he's done some good work. I like his work. Yeah. So you go through and, and you kind of take some of Pope John Paul II's ideas and break them down. And we're talking about them now, like in terms of building blocks. I don't have time to go through all of them, but what are some of the, the key kind of building blocks of a theology of the body that... Um, that you like to see the, the church and Christians address? Well, I just think that you know, part of it is building, uh, it's look at the way, how do we understand certain ways we teach, understand the Bible in terms of understanding how that impl implies the body. So for examples, if you don't believe creation is good, then it affects your view of the body. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe that your body is created by God, then why would Christ come in the incarnation of a body? Right, right, right. You know, all of the means of grace happen through the body. You know, taking the Eucharist, uh, being baptized, serving the poor, all that happens through the body. So the body is a very, very powerful embodiment. And um, part of the, the, the book is looking at also issues like the loss of same-gender friendships. You know, if you right. sexualize all relationships, 
then no longer you and I can't be friends in the same way we used to be. Right, right. And so the phrase, uh, which we now use very commonly, that says, you know, blood is thicker than water. That phrase is taken to mean, of course, that, you know, family ties are more important than other friendship ties like you and me. Right. But the original phrase, this is before DNA and blood, and blood, was actually the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. Oh, it was actually about yeah, the power of friendships. So there have been a lot of books written showing that same-gender friendships are on a sharp decline in our culture, especially after puberty. Mm. And so that's a big concern of the book, too, is how we understand uh, the body. I deal a lot with issues of shame, of the way, for example, the bodily image is portrayed for women, young women. So if you have uh, body images portrayed in a certain way in magazines and film, et cetera, this creates shame for a young women. Instagram has right, already right. been shown to have done this, young women. These are very important issues. And so the Christian answer is a theology of the body. Amen. And it actually covers a lot of issues. So it's not just about same-sex marriage. Right. It's about everything from you know, video games where you have first-person killing to abortion to uh, you know, uh, doctor-assisted suicide. I mean, it goes to all kinds of issues. How you take care of yourself, right? Absolutely. And, all the, and caring for the poor. Right. Helping yeah. people that are, that are homeless. All these things are connected to the dignity of the body. And so it's very important for Christians to see this is not a sectarian, you know, issue. This is a big block issue that Christians must recover in our day. Mm. So as you've studied this and like you look at all the, the interconnectedness of all of these areas, uh, this is a strange question. I think it may be. What was, as you studied this, what, what do you, what's next? I mean, we, we, what, what do we, you know, we have these flashpoints in culture right now. I mean, I think about Mark Zuckerberg and the and the metaverse or the meta like this existing, and, and that that seems completely foreign to me. But this is going to be commonplace for my children. I mean, what what do you see coming? What else do we need to be aware of? As a what does a body speak into? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think this is where I think the work of uh, John Jefferson Davis has been influential in my mind, where he argues that the whole world that we have grown up since the Enlightenment has pitted basically two ontologies or two views of the self. You had essentially a materialistic self, which is framed by the this, this, this five senses and scientific worldview. And then you had the what he called the ecclesial Trinitarian self, which doesn't deny the, the science, but also has deeper dimensions in terms of our understanding of the body, et cetera. He always argues that what was now emerging is actually a whole new third ontology. What wow. he calls the virtual self, the digital self, yeah, sure. where you're actually seeing that the people are now saying, because of the amount of time on social media, that their virtual self is actually more true in their mind than their own existence. This has been studied particularly in Japan. Japan has a whole generation of people that are completely locked into a, a digital life. So it's definitely coming our way. So this is not simply about how much time you spend on the, on the web. This is about a deep sense of the very nature of personhood is being under, challenged differently. Wow. And it comes into the whole therapeutic self and how we project ourselves. And there are people who, uh, you know, there are avatars they create. Right. That becomes the, the you, the real them. And that's, a big, uh, that's where this is headed, I think, next. And so it's like the foundation, I think, that you lay here in this book is like, it's not, it is dealing with the challenges with same-sex marriage, which is a, a flashpoint in the United Methodist Church, and unfortunately now in the Salvation Army as well. Like, but it's not just about that. These are like interconnected areas where right. we have got to develop a, a 
theology of creation and the body, revelation that helps us be able to fight against it. And, and I say fight, again, here I am. You're our salvationist. Can't get, away, can't get away from the fighting language. You guys are fighting. It's what we're for, right? We're, we're for this beautiful picture of what God has for the world. Yeah, but I do think there's a spiritual uh, uh, warfare aspect to all of these things. I mean, so I do think that the enemy of our souls is trying to attack this culture. And the Bible says that he's blinded the eyes of the unbelievers, right? So we do believe there is a, you know, the, the, the Christian life is not for the non-combatant. Mm. So mm. there is a sense where we are in a battle, you know, and the army always yeah. kept that language well. So we do it with gentleness. We do it with respect. We do it in love, but we are in a battle. Right. Well, thanks, Sick, for encouraging me back on that. Now, uh, a lot of my listeners are salvationists. Not all. Like, I'm about 60 70% probably are. Um, but you saw my uh, interview uh, or kind of debate conversation with Chick Yule. Um, so after I sat through your first class here, I'm the professor of record for you, so I do, I'm doing the grading for this class. Uh, I was like, oh, man. I probably could have done so much better. What do you, what, what do you think about that type of conversation? Uh, here's, here's why I'm asking. Because you said something to me like, well, we've been through this in the United Methodist Church already, and it's like the Salvation Army is just getting there. So here's my real question. What, what's your advice to the Salvation Army at this point? Like it's really starting to grapple with these issues. Well, I think you have to uh, establish uh, a really good baseline of whether or not the Army is committed to the scriptures okay. and, and really coming to scripture on these matters. So for example, Romans one, uh, Romans one, uh, is sometimes, Oh, well, this is about pederastry or this is about exploitative sex. So it clearly is not. Mm-hmm. And, there, and there's, there's biblical reasons why it's impossible, especially since he condemns both sides of the party, right? right. If it's exploitative. You wouldn't do that. Or, uh, lesbianism was actually, was mutual in the ancient world. He has, this is the one reference to lesbianism in the New Testament. So a lot of times you have people who will make claims about certain texts or this is about pederastry or whatever, and you have to really know your scriptures. Uh, the Bible uses about seven different word, Greek words for very sexual acts. It's very specific. And one of the, one of the I guess, advantages that we have in the New Testament is the, the Roman world was highly sexualized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were very, very involved. There's a lot of involvement in sexual activity. So the church had to speak to that. So we're coming back to an issue that is, was very common mm-hmm. in the Roman mm-hmm. world. Uh, consensual sex was very common. Uh, there was all kinds of, I mean, anything you can imagine and yeah. more was, was present in the Roman world. So I'd recommend that. I, I would say that, you know, this is where the army is going to have to recognize and see what has been the trajectory of churches that have gone down this road. Right. Look right. at the PCUSA. Look at the Young Methodist Church. Go all down the line. All major denominations, mainline denominations that have gone down this road have ended in a total disaster. Mm. They've either ended in a massive membership loss, which is what's fueled most of the large you know, evangelical churches in this country now, or they've gone into a huge split mm-hmm. where the movement itself is severed in multiple pieces. And look at the PCA, USA, the PCA, the OP, the EP. You look at the, the UNC church about to have the Global Methodist Church break off. And so I would really encourage the army to, to never forget your roots, mm. you know, your holiness roots. That's yeah. what gives you the vibrancy of your movement. Right. There's no point in abandoning that. It's so powerful. It's so vital. Mm-hmm. And the advantage that the army brings is that you, no one can say about the army 
Yeah. All you care about are people's justification in their souls. Right. Right. I mean, that's the, that's what we get a lot. In right. Sure, you know, sure. Oh, you guys all, you know, you're just, you're just, you know, tr trying to plant, get healed into heaven. You don't care about this world and all that. No one can tell about the army. Right. Sure. So you guys have got the advantage where no one can question your commitment to the, to the culture, the deepest needs of the culture. Mm. And yet you're born out of a deep evangelistic spirit that wanted to populate heaven. Right, amen. And you got it both. Don't give it up. And it's the theology of the body <laughs> yeah. helps us get, get it, right. it can re enliven what we call our social services, right? Like, exactly. this is what, you know, um, Pope John Paul II, um, my grandfather was with a group of church leaders. He was the national commander of the Salvation Army, and he's a group of church leaders who are going to meet the Pope John Paul II. And so they were kind of coming down the line, and he was coming to me. Each one, they're like, yes, Father, whatever. Well, then when he got to my grandfather, not because he was my grandfather, not because of, of who he was, his personality, which was a big personality, but be, solely because of his uniform. When the Pope looked up and saw my grandfather's uniform, he said, Salvation Army? Salvation Army? <laughs> and he grabbed his hands and he started shaking, and he just started dancing around with my grandfather. He's like, you get it. And, I, and you know, I, I'm not sure how aware my grandfather was or, or those Salvation Army leaders of Pope John Paul II's theology of the body. Right, right. But... My guess is that's part of why exactly. he was so excited because us in the Catholic Church likely are the ones who are, have institutionalized, hopefully in a good way, this type of work that God's exactly. called us to. Exactly. It's a great synergistic view of, uh, of how God is calling us to participate with him in saving the world. And so that's a, it's a great heritage. Don't give it up. And, yeah, uh, thank, that's a great encouragement. I'll ask one more question. And um, just, I imagine there's some people watching who have had challenges with their own experience. Right where they have a, a friend, a loved one who's come out as gay or, or or is identifying in a different way. What's your kind of pastoral word to them? Well, these struggles are real struggles, mm -hmm. and so we, like any other pastoral concern, um, you know, the uh, if you look at the history of alcoholism, you know this obviously well with the army's great work with alcoholism. But you know, you had the the amendment solution, which was to just ban alcohol, and then right. you had Alcoholic Anonymous, right? right? So there are two different approaches. You know, one was to say, well, these things don't happen. I mean, the famous line from the president of Iran, there are no homosexuals in Iran. You know, it doesn't really help right. us, right? So it's important to acknowledge the fact that we really do have people that have gender dysphoria, right. who are same-sex attracted, and their ministries. Like Revoice is one example, and I know that Revoice has some challenges, but at the base of the whole thing is to say, are there Christians that are trying to be faithful and live in celibacy, for example, mm -hmm. as celibate Christians? So there are examples where I think uh, Christians are now trying to struggle to say, how can we help people in these situations pastorally, while at the same time recognizing that you can't let experience trump scripture right, right so at the end of the day the word of god has to clarify god's will in all these matters and so uh the, the church needs to make sure we keep that in line but we should always you know have compassion on people who struggle in this culture is a cauldron of confusion right, right and so young people you have to have a lot of mercy on them they're growing up in their school system right, right. hearing all of this and so they often wonder, anybody going through puberty has their own challenges anyway. Right. And so you can imagine, it'd be easy if we had if we'd grown up 20 years ago, right. we might be in the same position. So I have a lot of compassion, but I think the church needs to lead in this and be, be proactive mm -hmm. rather than just be silent about it right. and give some good guidance. And trying to teach our kids, you know, this, this foundation of what we're for. Well, there's about 100 things I'd like to talk to you about, but 
we have a busy day and I'm taking a lot of your time anyways. So I, we only gave you a couple hours off from teaching yeah. here. So I'm really thankful for having you here. Thanks for coming. Well, thank you. Thank and, you. And one of my chief encouragers too. And even this new page, page section of my life where I'm serving this way has been you and Julie. So Abby and I so appreciate it. Well, you. thank you for your fine work at WBS. And of course your ongoing work with the army and uh, my God bless you. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming along. Check us out. If you don't mind hitting the subscribe or like and sharing this with a friend who needs to hear this type of message, it would mean a lot to us. God bless you.